Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but I pray sincerely that they get something out of the message that will make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Family, let's get our Bible confession. If you have your Bible with you, your phone, your tablet, your good old bought it from Barnes and Nobles hard copy. You know, if you want to do some extra, some things be big sometimes, don't they? So we're going to hold that Bible up and we're going to say this, this confession together. Ready? Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first image, family. We are still talking about our vision, and we'll be talking about that vision until basically I get through all the way to rebuild. We're currently on re-engage and that goal is re-engage life regardless of the fear or failure and re-engage it without condemnation, knowing that if you fall in the process, your risen king has empowered you to get up. And we have rested in this account of Jairus and his daughter where Jesus ultimately says, Talitha kumi, which means damsel, I say to thee, arise. We have three major scripture references there, and we've talked about the one in Proverbs. We've talked about the one in John. We have yet to talk about Romans 8, verse 1, that is, until today. Last session, we talked about divorce. And in talking about divorce, I felt that that was very important because, listen, I've been pushing you to scrutinize your inner circle. All the people that are in your network get a good hard look at them and see them for who, for who they are. There is no way we can have that conversation without talking about marriage. And clearly, more precisely, divorce as well. Because if, if anybody's in your inner circle, your wife should be, your husband should be. And it's very possible that they are displaying characteristics that, well, are not necessarily the right people characteristics. So you can't rule them out of the evaluation. That's why we talked about divorce. Some may think that divorce, that conversation that we had, is kind of a detour, but it's not. It actually fits right into our relationship talk very well. It fits because if you just focus in on divorce, divorce, it, it contains all the events, or it is a good depiction of the events that happen when a close relationship ends or fails. 
And let me explain to you what I mean by that. Let's, let's, let's show you how divorce is something that we can generalize. Next image. What you see before you is a marriage timeline. And of course, divorce is on this timeline. That's when the marriage ends. But for those who are on the audio, we basically just have a horizontal line with markings on it. The first marking is meet. In a marriage timeline, the two people have to eventually meet. There's a first meeting. Now, whether or not there is a second meeting depends on how those first couple of meetings go. When you think about things that have happened in meetings, and you know, you talk to your girlfriends, or you talk to your bros, and they have that first meeting or that first couple of meetings, and she gets home and she calls her girlfriend and she's like, girl, I can't go out with him no more. And she's like, well, what happened? You told me that he was cute. You told him that he was fine. He is, girl, but he is full of himself. <laughs> the whole night, all he kept talking about was himself. Yeah, but don't you want to give him a chance? Can't do it, girl. Plus, he chewed his mouth open. <laughs> I can appreciate that he has steak on his plate, but I do not want to see it in the back of his throat. Girl, I can't do it. We done. Same with the fellas. Bro, I can't see her no more. Why? Man, we went out, and this girl, she stayed on her phone the whole time. She cared more about her followers than she did me. <gasps> yeah, man, but listen, don't be so rash. Remember what you said? You said, baby body was kicking, though. He said, yeah, but her breath kicking, too. I thought I was going to pass out. I spent the whole night holding my breath. I can't see her no more. In order for marriage to be a possibility, you have to get through those first couple of meetings. And after you get through those first couple of meetings, you end up kind of building up some interest. And if it goes on long enough, what happens? Oh, you get serious. And when you get serious, we call that in marriage kind of like, you know, courtship, but you formed a close bond. If that seriousness continues long enough, eventually they get to the next marker, I call it the I do. And that's the marriage. Between those two markers, though, a little public service announcement for all my to-be-married folks in the future. The man and woman, once they get to the point to where marriage is a thought, it's an idea, they should put more energy and focus into the marriage than the wedding. You should put more energy into doing what you got to do in your life, in your character, in how you operate, and how you think, you should put more energy into that than, ladies, figuring out what you're going to wear at the wedding. Fellas, you should put more energy in making sure your marriage is going to last than you do and how fly you're going to look at the wedding. It's good that the cake tastes good. It's good that the cake is pretty, but it's better that your marriage lasts. You have to put the energy 
into making sure that in this marriage timeline, when you ultimately say I do, the I do will continue throughout time. Before you say I do, divorce cannot be a pre-option. You're going into this thing because at this point you said, I believe my relationship with this person should be permanent. You formed a close bond. Your bond is locked in. And you ultimately make it to that point to where you say the words, I do. When you say the words, I do, you have formed a covenant. And in saying, I do, in all my years, all my years of pastoring, being in ministry, going to weddings, both, uh, what do you call it? We call non-denominational, denominational, Catholic, whatever you call it. I've gone through, I've gone through so many weddings and I've seen so much stuff. I've been to, to weddings of other cultures. It just listen, I have never, I have never heard a vow include a statement about a prospective divorce. I've never heard the prospective divorce clause be quoted. I've never heard a pastor stand in front of stand in front of him and say, "Okay, um, Michael, you have some words to say to, to to your bride." And he says, "Yes, I do." He says, "Go ahead." He says, "I take the I'm just going to use shale. I take I take the shale to be my wedded wife, to have in the whole from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live." Or until I get tired of you, in which case I would divorce you. <laughs> you never hear that. You never hear, you never hear the... <laughs> oh, my Lord. I got... I got nothing. I got nothing. Just if she if she keeps this escort escort out, but that 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 made me laugh. Okay, where was I? Oh yeah, in the vows. But now when you think about that, it's even that's the groom, but you never you've never heard the wife to be said either. You've never heard you've never heard say, I I, I shall take thee, Michael to be my wedded husband and having a hold from this day forward for better, for worse, richer, for poor, in sickness and in health to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. And the pastor take a breath. Whew, she didn't have a clutch. Oh, excuse me, pastor. I forgot to say the other part. Oh, until this Negro get on my nerves, in which case I'm on divorce as black. You do never hear that. You never hear that part. Because nobody really goes into a marriage with a prospective divorce mindset. You go into that thing thinking that, oh, that timeline that we're starting is going to continue truly 
until death do us part. Why? Because we're going to love and cherish. We're going to do all the things necessary to make sure it keeps going. And that thing will continue to go through time unless we reach that final marker where someone has committed some covenant-breaking act. And when they commit that act, the thought of this fifth marker, divorce, raises its head. When we get to this point, something has gone wrong between what the two made a covenant about and what actually has happened in life. This timeline, this marriage, marriage and divorce timeline, is very similar to the timeline of a friendship. Let me show you. Two people meet. And you can meet in grade school, you can meet in middle school, you can meet as an adult, you can meet any time in life, but what we're talking about is just adults here. So the two people meet. If things go well for some period of time, whether you're, you're, you're hanging out, you're playing basketball, you're, 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 you both like cooking, whatever it is, the interest grows until at some point you form a very close bond. And you say, well, pastor, hold up now that I knew I got my boys and everything, but you got on this thing the I do. How does that fit? Well, let me tell you something. When you have a really close friend, although it may not be in writing like a marriage license. Oh, you have covenanted that this thing is going to be permanent. I don't expect you to ever be out of my life. I don't expect you to never, ever anymore be my friend. And friends don't just form out of just everyday having fun type stuff. Friends can form in adversity. People serve in the military together. They go into real battle together. They form a bond. Somebody going through a life challenge. I'm going through the same life challenge. We kind of hit it off because we can support each other. I can lean on you. You can lean on me. It forms a bond and they become friends. So no matter how the friendship happens, the bottom line is when you made a covenant, whether you write it down or not, to be friends, you expect that thing to continue throughout time. And it will until. Somebody commits a covenant-breaking act. We call it breaking the friend code. That's a covenant. You didn't stand before a pastor and, and exchange anything, but make no, make no bones about it. In a friend, a friend's mind, when you're looking at a really close friend, we in covenant together. When we take a look at divorce and we relabel it in general sense, in a general sense. We call divorce the ending of a close relationship. The feelings associated with divorce can happen in many different areas. 
Yeah, we know about divorce between husband and a wife. We just talked about divorce between friends. So we can call that a friendship divorce. But divorce can happen with family. Those feelings associated with we're going to end this relationship, it can happen with family. It can happen with neighbors. That feeling, that sense of divorce can happen with business partners, coach players. It can, it can happen with so many different aspects in life because what it is, divorce, is the ending of a close relationship. Now, the ending of a close relationship is something that fits squarely into what we're talking about with keep the right people, get rid of the wrong people. As you're going through starting your motion to purge your circle of the wrong people, that's going to involve what? The ending of relationships. And in the ending of relationships, you need to know that that can trump up feelings, same as divorce. So I tell you again, divorce was not a detour. Talking about divorce fits in snugly to what we're talking about because divorce, that event of divorce is a depiction of what happens when close relationships end or fail. And it doesn't matter whether you are the person who wanted to end the relationship or you are the person that wants it to continue. When close relationships end, it ends with scars. Everybody say scars. And with scars comes the emergence of a very oppressive feeling, condemnation. Look at this image. Family, condemnation is the expression of strong disapproval. It is the expression of being unworthy of better. Condemnation is a declaration that you are unlovable especially based on something that the person did or allowed to happen. Condemnation is a declaration of being awful or bad. It's a declaration of being guilty, and because of that guilty verdict, deserving of punishment. Condemnation is, notice the image, a heavy mental, emotional, and spiritual weight. 
and condemnation looks to seed itself and germinate in the soil of every life complication. We are introducing condemnation right on the edge of having talked about relationships. But now let's broaden that thing because condemnation is not just locked into failed relationships. <clears throat> condemnation, that thing will germinate. If it gets the seed in there, it will germinate in any life mishap, misstep, disaster, defeat, failure, or error. Condemnation will generate. If you have had a failed marriage, that's good soil for condemnation. That's grade A ground for the seed of condemnation. If you had a horrible ending to a friendship, condemnation, love that. That's fertile ground for condemnation. What about having a business fail? You tried and you tried, you did the best you could and it didn't work out, condemnation could be at your front door waiting to grow. You dropped out of school. Condemnation loves that. Condemnation will grow into any life mishap. You look back over your history and you realize, man, I could have been a better parent. Condemnation just can't wait to grow in that. It doesn't matter. You messed up your finances. You were, a, you were a, a, a prostitute. You went to prison. It doesn't matter. All of those life mishaps and errors and failures and defeats, that is grade A soil for the seed of condemnation. The potential for condemnation exists in every life complication because in the wake of all those complications, condemnation just lurks and looks for an opportunity to plant its seed in that fertile soil. However, having its seed penetrate the soil is not enough for condemnation to take root, sprout, and grow. It still needs something. Family condemnation needs a voice to give it power. And that brings us back to the account of Jairus and his daughter. Notice this. Let's pick this up in Mark. Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 34 in the voice. You will notice some text is small because you're not really meant to read that, but you can if you so choose. Starting in verse 21. 
After Jesus returned across the sea, a large crowd quickly found him, so he stayed by the sea. One of the leaders of the synagogue, a man named Jairus, came and fell at Jesus' feet, begging him to heal his daughter. Jairus said, my daughter is dying and she's only 12 years old. Please come to my house. Just place your hands on her. I know that if you do, she will live. Jesus began traveling with Jairus towards his home. In the crowd pressing around Jesus, there was a woman who had suffered continuous bleeding for 12 years. You know the story very well. She reaches for Jesus by sneaking up behind him and touching the hem of his garment. And the Bible says that at the moment she touched the hem of his garment, the blood, her issue, dried up. We pick it up at the tail end of verse 33. Jesus is saying, hey, who touched me? The woman says, I touched you. Then she told him, meaning Jesus, the reason why. Jesus listened to her story, and then Jesus said, Daughter, you are well because you dare to believe. Go in peace and stay well. Now, verse 35, family. While Jesus was speaking, some members of Jairus' household pushed through the crowd, Jairus' servants, say, they say to Jairus, daughter, hold on. While he was speaking, some members of Jairus' household pushed through the crowd. Jairus' servants said to Jairus, your daughter is dead, so there is no need to drag the teacher any further. This verse comes mere minutes after Jesus has healed this woman with the issue of blood. Just mere minutes. And before Jesus can even motion to start back his journey to go to Jairus' house, I want you to notice something. There are people who push through the crowd. Say push through the crowd. They push through the crowd to deliver bad news. These people push through the crowd to put a dagger in Jairus' hope that his daughter will survive. They push through the crowd to deliver a message of hopelessness. Now, I'm going to be upfront and honest with you. I wanted to talk about this verse weeks ago but God told me don't talk about it yet I want you to talk about it later when we talk about condemnation but I said God this verse right here we can preach this thing when we were talking about the right people and the wrong people the image in this verse was clear to me. I said, you need to realize, based on what we're seeing right here with these people coming through to, to just get this man bad news, there is a difference between the right people in your circle and the wrong people in your circle. The right people in your circle, when you're going through adversity, they push through the crowd to give you hope. They push through the crowd to give you encouragement. They push through the crowd 
to give you strength to keep going. The right people in your circle, when you're going through something, they push through the crowd when it's the darkest and they still dispense in light. That's the right people. But the wrong people, on the other hand, when you're going through something, they will push through the crowd to deliver you a message of no hope. They will push through the crowd to deliver you not encouragement, but discouragement. The wrong people in your circle will push through the crowd. They don't make you stronger when they leave your presence. You weaker than you were before they got there. The wrong people in your circle, when things are the dark darkest, they show up to blow out the one little candle you still got burning. That's the wrong people. You can do with the right people, but you can do without the wrong people. God, that is what I see in that verse. He's don't teach that now. Say this verse for later. Because I got something I want to tell the people for this verse. Good thing about today is that now is later. So here is God's word to you on this verse. God says to all of us, I want you to notice that these people push through the crowd to deliver a message of hopelessness while Jairus is with Jesus. Furthermore, I want you to notice that they push through the crowd to deliver a message of hopelessness while Jesus is still speaking. Notice, verse 35, while he, meaning Jesus, was speaking. God says, this is a display of how condemnation earns its power in your life. Someone comes to you with a word of defeat, a word of failure, a word of you're not going to make it, a word, a word that all hope, is, all hope is lost, a word of this is the end. And you take that word and you embrace that word and it seeds condemnation in you. The sad part is this. The messengers of hopelessness are most often not an outsider. The messenger of hopelessness most commonly is you. You deliver the message of no hope to yourself. And because you speak a hopeless message, condemnation earns power in your life because you speak a word of hopelessness over your life. Keep in mind, 
when the word comes to Jairus, Jairus is standing with Jesus. And when you talk hopeless words to yourself, I'm standing with you. But even better than Jairus, I'm a part of you. Jesus stood with him. My spirit resides in you. And even though my spirit resides in you, it don't matter how loud I talk. It don't matter how much evidence I put around you of how I see you. You, with your hopelessness and your negativity, you embrace condemnation so much that you push through what I'm saying about you and you deposit condemnation and a word of hopelessness in your own ear and that keeps you in bondage to condemnation. You push through what I'm saying about you with condemning remarks. I say you're victorious. You say you're defeated. I say you're loved. You say you're unlovable. I say you're accepted. You're saying you're unacceptable. I say I am with you. You say you're all alone. I say you can succeed. You say you're destined to fail. I say you can reach the sky. You say your feet can't lead the ground. I say we can get to the mountaintop. You say you stuck in the valley. I say that you're going to be healed. You say sickness is all you know. I say things are going to get better. You say, uh-uh, I don't see them getting better because they've always been worse. I say you won't be like your family. You say, that's what my family's always been. You won't be like your father, but I see only my daddy in me. You won't be like your mama, but I only see my mama in me. You will be a better parent than your father was to you, but I can't see any way around it. I'm doing the same thing. He says so many good things about you, God says. I'm saying these things, but what you're doing is pushing through what I am saying to deliver a message of hopelessness to yourself. J. Iris got a message of hopelessness while Jesus was with him. Every day of your life, you are dispensing hopelessness to yourself while I am with you. Even when I put it to you in print, you still push through and paint condemned on yourself. If you are a canvas, you sign it condemned. When I tell you through my spirit that you're victorious and you're loved and you, you, will, you will win, you don't listen. And when I put it in print, before your very eyes, you don't listen. You'd rather push through and say what you can't do. You'd rather push through and say that you can't make it. You'd rather push through and say that you will fail. You will push through and say that you are defeated. You'd rather push through even when I put it in print. 
Notice, Ephesians. When I put it in my word, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, easy to read. Greetings from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am an apostle because that is what God wanted. To God's holy people living in Ephesus, believers who belong to Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, God has given us every spiritual blessing in heaven. In Christ, he chose us before the world was made. He chose us in love to be his holy people. God who could stand before he chose us in love to be his holy people, people who could stand before him without any fault. God says, my word tells you that you are chosen. I chose you in Christ. And you say, there is no way God can choose me. I say in my word that you are loved. But you say to yourself, there is no way you can love me with everything I've done. I call you holy. But your message to yourself is, how can I be holy, a sinner like me? I've chose you. I told you and I tell you every day that I love you. You're holy to me. You can stand before me without any fault, but still you condemn yourself. You push through even my written word to speak a word of condemnation over your own life. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes that in Christ, you are people who can stand before me without any fault. He used a slightly different wording in Romans, but the same message. This is what Paul said in Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, King James. There is therefore now no condemnation. To them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There is no condemnation to who? Come on, family. To who? Them who are in Christ Jesus. Go back up to the next image. I tell you, God said, that I have chosen you in Christ. That in Christ, you are loved. In Christ, you are holy. In Christ, you are washed. In Christ, you are cleansed. In Christ, you are made better. In Christ, you are made invincible. In Christ, you are made victorious. In Christ, you are made my son. In Christ, you are made my daughter. In Christ, you are given provision. In Christ, you are better than you ever could be. In Christ, you're no longer a sinner. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. But still, next verse, you condemn yourself 
but my word tells you there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But still you push through my word and speak hopelessness over your life. Well, let me tell you, Siri, what it is. <laughs> My God, Siri wanted to get saved. Let's save her. Siri, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he has, God has raised him for the dead, you too will be saved and you will not be under condemnation anymore because Romans 8 says there is no condemnation. We got to plan a trip to go to Apple headquarters. They got people in there that need to be saved. Computers, lay our hands on them. Every AI getting ready to know that Jesus is Lord. We don't want, we don't want, we don't want, we don't want Siri to not understand. Ain't no telling what website she done been on. But she stepped in the right church today. You heard she shut up. She, un she understand now. I'm sorry, I don't understand. <laughs> what Chris Tuck say, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth now? I don't think I understand. Ain't, ain't that much to understand. When you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation. You look back over your life and you see you, you even got your cheering telling you that you could have done better. No condemnation. You started the business and it didn't work out. No condemnation. You went to school and them classes just wasn't for you. Can't what your mama and them thinking about you. You ain't no condemnation. No condemnation. Fresh start as far as God is concerned. That is the message God wanted to give you through that verse. Now, family, let me tell you something. Now, this is just speaking for me as a person. As a person, it can be burdensome to learn that people think poorly of me or that they have somehow labeled me in some demeaning or derogatory way. But far beyond that, it is much more oppressive for me yeah to speak a word of condemnation over myself it is much more oppressive when I think myself hopeless 
Oh, condemnation, and we will address it. Condemnation can't come from the outside. But it is much more anchoring and shackling and destructive and painful and lasting when I speak condemnation over my own life. When you do not see yourself as anything but a hopeless individual, as someone who's going to live a defeated life, as someone who has no way out, you can't get any more in prison than that. If I let that grow in me, I can't get any more constrained than that. Why? Because I can't escape me. I can't separate from me. I can't run away from me. I can't, I can't, I can't shut me out of the conversation with me. I can't lock me outside. Whenever I am the one pushing through the crowd to deliver a word of hopelessness over my own life, that is so oppressive. Far beyond anything anyone else can do to me. Because if I don't believe in me, That's a bad place to be. But what is, <laughs> I'm going to say what is we, but let's say that. What is we talking about? <laughs> I couldn't recover from that. Let's go ahead and say it. What is we talking about? <laughs> because God wants us to stop condemning ourselves we is talking about <laughs> self-condemnation. Everybody say self-condemnation. Self now, what is self-condemnation? Con what is self-condemnation? I'm glad you asked. We're going to read this together. Let's go. Now, I've put this together as my definition of self-condemnation. I'm sure you can find others I'm sure the Internet's a big place. You may find even something close. But we're going to read that sentence together because it says, in my opinion, what self-condemnation is. Ready? Let's go. Self-condemnation is me continually rehearsing within myself my belief that my faults are greater than the work Christ did to redeem me. Self-condemnation. It's, it's, it's me continually rehearsing in my head that, you know what? My faults, my mishaps, my missteps, my failures, my defeats, my errors, all of those things are much greater than anything Jesus did on the cross. And we self-condemn ourselves with this being the definition, and still label ourselves believers. 
But the truth of the matter, if we were to wrestle with the blunt question, are my faults greater than Christ? The answer is absolutely not. But in order to embrace that, you got to stop pushing through the crowd of witnesses that God puts around you through his spirit and through his word that says you are much better than what you were trying to make of yourself. You got to stop pushing through that crowd and dispensing hopelessness over your own life. You have to stop it. Now, the fundamental resolution for self-condemnation is for you and I to believe and hold firm to what God says about us, who God says we are, what God says we can do, what God says about our future, hold on to that and ignore any other voice, even our own, to the contrary. We talked about in Mark where before Jesus could even get to going back to Jairus' house, people pushed through the crowd. There is another tidbit of wisdom in that verse, and that tidbit is going to be the pattern that we should use to eliminate self-condemnation in our life but it doesn't come in Mark. It comes in Luke. Still in the voice translation, I'm so glad that they wrote the same thing but different. This is Luke, same account, same moment in the account. Luke chapter 8, verses 49 through 50 in the voice. He's just told this woman with the issue of blood, daughter, be well and stay healed. Verse 49 in Luke. Right at that instant, one of Jairus' household servants arrived. The servant said, sir, your daughter is dead. It's no use bothering the teacher with this anymore. Jesus, read that parenthetical with me, go. Interrupting Jairus before he could speak. Hmm. Jesus, interrupting Jairus before, Jairus before he could speak, says, don't be afraid, just believe she, yes, she'll be well again. Now, let's look at the pattern. Jairus gets a word of bad news. He gets a word of hopelessness. And before he could even open his mouth to give that word power in his life, Jesus says to him something. He doesn't even allow Jairus to get the words to come out of his mouth to even begin to get the seed of condemnation in the soil of what the people said. He silences Jairus. Number one, the next thing he does 
is focuses Jairus' eyes, his attention, off of the people. Look at me. Forget the messenger. Look at your Savior. Forget the messenger. Look at your healer. Forget the messenger. Look at the person who has given you a word of victory at the beginning of the account. Look at the person that will bring to pass everything that he said he would do. After he silenced him before he could say, focus his eyes on him, then he said, just believe. Just believe. Believe what I said was going to happen, that it's going to happen. Loved ones, that's the pattern. Whenever condemnation wants to seed itself in you, you, since we're talking about self-condemnation, you have to silence your own negativity, step one. Hey, not that it won't come. We got minds, we got brains, that brain be working. Your eyes see stuff, you get conclusions. You got to silence yourself. Focus yourself, step two, on Jesus. On the word. On the Holy Spirit's ability to do everything the comforter was sent to do. And then step three. You go forward in life believing. I know what it looks like. I'm going to believe. I know what they're saying. I'm going to believe. I know what I'm saying to myself. I'm going to believe. Believe. Self-condemnation, family. It's not good. It will have you living a life that's far beneath the level God intends for you to live. And what makes it most damaging is that because it's self-condemnation, you tote it with you everywhere you go. Let's break free from that. Because if we're going to do, as our vision says, we're going to re-engage life, you have to re-engage life knowing that you are new in Christ. You have to re-engage life by leaving all of those things you think about yourself behind. You have to re-engage life with the understanding and the knowledge and the belief that as I stand in Christ, there is no condemnation. We got a few other things to say about condemnation before we wrap up our re-engage category, and I look forward to telling you. But for now, I want us to all say something, and then we will conclude for today.
This condemnation is something that does not belong to us. God does not call us to be free, yet condemn ourselves. doesn't happen. All right. Ready? Say this. In Christ, In Christ God, chose God chose me. In Christ, In Christ God, loves me. God loves me. In Christ, In Christ I, am I am holy and without fault. And without fault. Therefore, Therefore, I can stand before my God in Christ, in Christ without, condemnation. without condemnation. Starting today, Starting today I, will stop I will stop condemning myself. Condemning myself. No, matter no matter what I did, what I did. No, matter no matter what I said, what I said. No, matter no matter how it turned out, it turned out. No, matter no matter how I wish, how I, wish. I had done something, I had done something. Differently. differently, I will stop, I will stop. condemning myself. I may have, have erred in, in life. I may have, I may have experiences, experiences that have left me with scars. With scars. But, my but my God says, there is no condemnation, is no condemnation. So, I so I shall not condemn myself. Condemn myself. In, Jesus name. in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Give God some praise. Yeah, I heard somebody say it. Be free. Set yourself free. When we talk about this condemnation a little bit more, I'm glad you said that word because it's about freeing yourself. I can tell you as I know I say parent things a lot, but I know being a parent, you don't always make the best decisions. You may, you, you, you may, you may look like on the outside that you know everything you said is the right thing, but sometimes you'd be like, I think that's right. There's, there's, there's no absolutes in parenting. There's no absolutes in relationships. You do the best you can. And if what you're doing is what you believe God wants you to do, that's where you got to stop. It took, me, it took me some years to get to that, just talking parenting. Now, we're not talking about anybody doing anything crazy today, children. But parenting, sometimes it's just you did it on a gut feel. Well, sir, that gut is the Holy Spirit. Okay, I did it because I had a Holy Ghost feel. Whatever you want to say, sometimes you just... When you look back on what you did, it's easy. And I'll put this one more thing out there and I'll pause because this is getting into another, another part of, it, of the message. 
It's so easy. Ooh, here's where I put it. You ever heard the term Monday morning quarterback? For, for those of you who don't know what that is, what that implies is that, you know, there's, you see, there's, you know, there's football Sunday when football season is in. And when the game is, when the game is over, on Monday, all the commentators and the sports writers talk about what the people on the field should have did to win the game. And, and so the, 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 the phrase is, oh, you just a Monday morning quarterback, meaning it's easy for you to look at everything after it's been done, look at the film, look at everything, and be able to say what people should have did back then. Well, as a parent, and I know I'm talking to somebody because I had to get this for myself. Sometimes when everything is said and done and your children get older, they Monday morning quarterback you. Hear me closely. And it is, quite frankly, easy for them to look at the past and to say what you should have did. Now, for, 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 the, for the best of children, if they grow up and they start adulting and get their, they, they get it. You don't look as stupid as you did <laughs> before they got responsibilities and bills and children and bosses. But just ignore that for now. <laughs> it's easy for them to stand, look back at what happened, at what they would have preferred, and then judge you. They didn't have your life. They didn't have your struggle. They didn't have your pain. They didn't have your scars. They didn't have none of that stuff you was working with. And you still did, doggone it, a good job probably. But they Monday morning quarterback you. Pastor, why are you telling me that? Because you wear that as condemnation. Tell them jokers you did the best you could and walk into your future free. So let me tell you, thank you for saying the word free. Because that's what all of this talk about condemnation is going to be. That you need to live free. Because a free, believe, a free believer is of so much more use to God and the kingdom, and to other people. We want you to be free. But until next time, let's pray. God, I thank you that each and every person here came with a heart to receive your word. They came with ears to hear. And if there is any individual either present here or that hears this in the future who are living with the sense of condemnation that they're putting over themselves, we pray right now that God, through your spirit, you give them, yeah, give them the desire to be free. 
the steps, God, are just, do not speak those words over yourself. Do not rehearse those words over yourself. Focus on what God says about you and just believe. Oh, we pray right now that freedom is flooding every heart. Yeah, God, where your spirit is, there's liberty, not oppression. And self-condemnation is just that. It's oppressive, an oppressive feeling, an oppressive reality. But we speak freedom over their life now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.